compassion. On a wider scale, because we talked about the organization compassion, and we have other organizations represented here, and you might well say, well, there's more people in need than just children. I might argue there are fewer more vulnerable, but need is a broad thing. It spreads from our country to the developed world and through into the extremes that we've been seeing. But there's another side to compassion, and Rachel's already alluded to this, and that is that we need compassion. But our compassion has to be about realism. And we are very cosseted in this world. We are, we are the privileged. And I'm not sure that we always recognize that we are the privileged, because we are encouraged always to notice what we're doing without. Always. I've told this story before, but it's true. I spent, I, I did this a lot, but I came back from working in the shanty towns and the jungle villages of South America after three months away. And uh, because we were short shopping, my wife took me to Tesco's. Now, I'd been mixing on, uh, where people had no floor, had no ceiling, um, people hadn't got fresh water, their cupboards were empty. And we walked around Tesco's, which was about 150 aisles of just about everything you could possibly need. And as we were there, and I was quite sensitive to this, you can imagine, you know, I was full of self-righteous indignation at the time, um, <coughs> which, which, is, which is more or less every other day. And, I, and I'm, I'm walking past this couple who are pushing a trolley that is piled like you wouldn't believe. And just as I walked past, the woman said to the man, she said, you know, the trouble with this place is there's nothing in here. And I sort of said to her, come on, I've got to go. I've got to go home. I can't. I need, I need to decompress. I need to adjust back to this world. And we lose sight of this. But the reality is that the world is corrupt and it creates winners and losers. It creates winners and losers. Look around the shelves of shopping and you will see packets of demerara sugar. Have you seen demerara sugar? Yeah. Okay. The only place where you won't find demerara sugar from is the demerara. Because on the banks of the demerara where they grow sugar, there is a trade agreement which says that those people are not allowed to sell their sugar in the developed world. Because for all manner of other political reasons, other countries' sugar is being favored over theirs and so on and so on. And we are a world that creates winners and losers. We create winners and losers. And in that sense, poverty begets poverty. So because it's very important in our country that we don't miss out, because then we'll change who we vote for, it's made sure that we don't miss out. But because we don't miss out, other people do. This is winners and losers. And we are the winners. But even in the countries where they are missing out, those who are powerful in those countries try to make sure that they are not the ones who do. So even those countries are uneven. Those of you who've traveled in the third world, you will see there are people in the third world who've got a lot and people whose poverty is absolutely grinding. Poverty begets poverty. And in itself, poverty creates poverty. So starvation reduces growth, reduces birth weight, reduces opportunity, reduces life expectancy. 
Desperation creates crime. Crime puts people in prison. When people go to prison, families are left behind. But wealth also desires more wealth. We want cheaper commodities so we have more money left to buy luxuries. And that's tricky, isn't it? So, we are part, we are part of a corrupt world. And the reality is, no matter how hard we try not to, we play our part in the corruption of the world. Now, we know the world is corrupt. We know the world is fallen. It's the nature, it's our sinful nature that makes this go wrong. The interesting and challenging thing for Christians is this, that we have to care about this. It has to bother us. We are obliged to be bothered. I want to read you a verse from Ezekiel which takes us from Genesis to Revelation. That's the beginning to the end of the Bible, just about compassion. It says this, Now, says Ezekiel, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. Now, it's interesting because if you read Genesis where the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is, you believe, looking at it, that this is because of their violence and their sexual crime that God is appalled and destroys Sodom. But here in Ezekiel, we're given a clue as to how it all went wrong. And it starts with being unconcerned. You are unconcerned for the poor and the needy. And the in Ezekiel, God shows that because we are unconcerned, we run the risk of becoming arrogant and thinking that our needs are more important than other people's needs. And once we believe that our needs are more important than other people's needs, our wants become more important than other people's needs, until in the end, we permit ourselves almost anything. Because after all, we're all that matters. And that was the road down which that city went until in the end, behavior spiraled out of control. Now, it's interesting. Jesus also speaks to the church in Revelation and says to the church this, says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me, that's gold from Jesus, refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And this is about Jesus saying to this church, you're very comfortable, you're very satisfied. Not this church, by the way, but that church. You're very comfortable, you're very satisfied, you feel you've got it all sussed, but the reality is that spiritually you are neglecting what is important to the point where as a church you are now impoverished 
That's, that's scary thoughts, isn't it? That's suggesting that that church is following the same path that God describes for Sodom. You are unconcerned about anybody but yourself. So what I'm saying, and I'm not suggesting anybody here lacks compassion, what I'm saying though is in the Bible, being compassionate is an element on which our very survival depends. We're talking about people who need food, clean water, clothes for their very survival. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to tell you that the Bible tells us that we as Christians need to suffer for the needs of others for our very spiritual survival. That's what compassion means, to feel the suffering of others. When God has compassion on us, it is because He feels our suffering. He doesn't rescue us from trouble, by the way. He feels our suffering. I heard that somewhere. Anyway, it's… Um, and that's interesting because we have this corruption. I read this verse in Jeremiah, and it really shocked me because I was, I was beating myself up. Do you know how you do when you think… I, I was looking at what I was wearing, and I was saying to myself, I like to buy clothes cheaply. It's something to do with where I come from, I think, but I like to buy them cheaply. And I was asking myself, how many of my garments were produced by people who weren't paid enough to feed themselves and their family, just so I could… And while I was doing this, because I was researching it, talk about a big stick, this is what I read. In Jeremiah 2.34, I read this, on your clothes men find the lifeblood of the innocent poor. Really, my head went down. And I thought, like Rachel said, what can I do about that? You know, there are billions of pounds. Of people. Do those countries not want that business? Yes, they do. I am not saying that we can change the world. The world is on a road to destruction, the Bible tells us. But we have to care about it, and we have to do what we can. And what should you be doing you need to talk to God about that, and you need to hear. But doing nothing isn't a tragedy just for the people you do nothing for. It is a tragedy for you. And that's what I'm saying. Now, <clears throat> when we become Christians, Satan wants us not to be Christians. And if we insist, his next agenda is to stop us being effective Christians. Do you believe that? That's the next job. Four things, I'm not going to explain them, but just tell you. Four things that stop us being effective Christians. Number one, busyness. New Wine magazine this, this summer did, did a whole article on the false god of busyness. We are so busy that we can't do anything useful in the kingdom. Number two, fear. We are afraid to speak up, afraid to stand up, afraid that we might lose out if we take those risks. Related to that are all the other ones that come with that, you know, that we're angry, that we're resentful, we're unforgiven, all those kind of things. The third one, that we don't pray. That's always going to make Christians ineffective. No prayer, no infect. And in the screw-shaped letters, which um, C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, in one of those things, one of the instructions to, to pressure Christians was, whatever you do, stop them praying. 
And that's very important. And the fourth one, a lack of compassion. Unconcerned Christians are Christians who are ineffective. And there's lots of ways that we are told by the world to stop being compassionate. I just want to run through three of them. And they go like this. Number one, you shouldn't be compassionate for those people because they have things. Because they have things. I want to tell you, read in the newspaper on Friday morning letters which said, I don't know why we are bothering to help these refugees from Syria. I've looked on the television and lots of them have mobile phones. But you, you, could, you could add, somebody else told me something to this week which said, well, you know, I went and there was huge poverty and a television. Somebody, I've been elsewhere and people have got a fridge. Sometimes they've been donated. But what does that do? The world says, stop caring because they've got a thing. Look at that. There's a thing. I saw you being poor with a thing. How dare you have a thing? You're supposed to be poor. I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. Have you got any things? Oh, yeah, okay. Have you got enough things? Yeah, till tomorrow. Yeah, and then you think, oh, I know what I need. Well, everybody, but here's the point. Does that change the poverty? No, it doesn't. I have no home. My children are vulnerable. No country wants to accommodate me, and I've got a mobile phone. I'm sorry I have a mobile phone. Let me throw away my only means of communication just so that you will care for me. Is this logical? Did you read that? here? Or were you told that somewhere else? Number two, we, we are excused compassion in the views of many because the people we are looking at who are poor have done something wrong. They are drinking alcohol or smoking cigarettes or taking drugs or committing crime or… Does that change their poverty? Does that mean we should not have compassion on people who are poor because they are wrongdoers? Let me tell you a story. It's not my story. There was a guy who was in massive amounts of debt. He went to the person who was, he was in debt to who forgave him all the debt. And then when he'd finished that, he went and found somebody who owed him a few pence and drove him into the ground to get it. Do you remember that story? Jesus told that story. Well, here's the thing. And just to point out, now, let's not be compassionate on people because they've done wrong. And let's, because Jesus says, you know, in the same way that you forgive, you'll be forgiven, let's suggest the same thing to God about us. Tell you what, God, don't forgive me if I've done wrong. Don't have compassion on me if I've done wrong. We wouldn't like that, would we? How come that's okay? Now, you don't read it in here. Who puts that idea into the heads of people? Not God. Number three, I'm not saying you hold these views, by the way. I'm just saying this is, we read this in the media, we, I hear it being talked about, and so on. Poor people are a long way away. Charity begins at home. Yes, it does. However, I don't subscribe to the view that charity ends at home. 
Poverty is poverty is poverty is poverty. And poverty might be spiritual, it might be educational, it might be a poverty of opportunity, it might be a poverty of understanding, it might be a poverty of health. It's everywhere. It's here and it's beyond. But we are on a journey, ladies and gentlemen, that is about learning to be compassionate because our very lives depend on it. If we limit the level at which we are prepared to be compassionate, we limit the level at which we are prepared to grow spiritually. Let me say that again. If we limit the level at which we are prepared to show compassion, we limit the level at which we are prepared to grow spiritually. Do you want to put limits on your spiritual growth? Then let your compassion stretch beyond the bounds of this town. Don't take it away from this town, by the way. There's plenty need here. But let it stretch beyond. This is not just about the needs of the poor. It's about the needs of the poor in spirit. You need to show compassion because your life depends on it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to make anybody feel guilty or uncomfortable. I just want to put down how central having compassion like God has compassion is central to our spiritual health. So, these distinctions that I've just mentioned, they don't come from the Bible. If you find them coming into your head, ask yourself, who's putting them there? Is it the Holy Spirit? It isn't, because the Bible doesn't say those things. The Bible makes no distinction between deserving and undeserving poor, just poor. Just poor. That's all it ever. It never talks about deserving or undeserving. So, as God's chosen people, this is Colossians 3 and 2, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility. Remember, we said a lack of concern leads to a haughty attitude. Clothe yourself with compassion, humility follows gentleness and patience. I'll read that without me giving God a commentary. I'm sure He appreciates it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We need to find and excel in being compassionate, ladies and gentlemen, because it reflects God's nature, and we are called to be like Him because it keeps us healthy spiritually, because we will then be witnesses in the world about what God's compassion is like compared to conditional compassion. But finally, just because there are millions of people in the world who need us to be compassionate, who are poor and needy and downtrodden, who are the victims of injustice, who are victims of their own self-destruction, who are victims of other people's destruction, who are victims of neglect and ignorance and a lack of opportunity, because they are everywhere, and we are in the world with them. Just because of that, that's good enough. Compassion as an organization offers lots of opportunities. We have information. There are other organizations that I'm not, and nor is anyone else here suggesting that you're preferential in a direction that God doesn't call you. There are many, many areas and causes, and we want you to just learn more about compassion as a spiritual discipline.
It's what we need. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus' compassion, if you don't know how He can turn your life around, then we can tell you about that and we'll happily pray with you because that's what's happened to us in the same way as poor children's lives are turned around in this world, so our spiritual lives have been turned around by Jesus, and it's time for us to step out. So, I don't want you to feel guilty, I don't want you to feel condemned, but I do want you to think about what the truth is for us walking with Jesus. And if we don't walk with compassion, then we are stepping off the path. That's all I'll say. Do we have a prayer, Catherine? Has it been compiled? Rachel's going to come and bring us prayer. As she does, let me just pray for you first. Lord, if I have made anyone here feel guilty or condemned, please forgive me. You know that's not my heart. But Lord, move by your Holy Spirit to make us grow in compassion. Let us not be hard and untouched. Let us not feel powerless either because we believe in a God in which everything, for whom everything is possible. Let us just have the faith to step out in compassion, shrug off what hinders, and believe. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is our prayer today. This is the prayer of Bridge North Baptist Church on 20th of September 2015. It's a snapshot of our hearts prayer today. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you that you've always provided for all our needs. We have more than we need. Help us to be generous with all that we have. Give us your heart, Lord. Let us show compassion for all those fleeing persecution, whether they're in the world, wherever they are in the world, especially for our brothers and sisters being persecuted for their faith. Jesus invited little children to come to him whilst he was on earth. Now it's our turn, and we invite in his name children in this community, this country, and this world to come to him and know his love. Thank you for all children. Come unto me as little children. Bless all children everywhere. Lord, we especially pray for children suffering the chaos of being a migrant at this time. Give them hope, we pray. We pray for all the refugees, especially the children caught up in adult differences. Help us, Lord, to be more compassionate with all who we meet, wherever we travel in the world and whatever we do with our lives. Help us not to be afraid of who we are in you and what you call us to do. Stir our hearts, Jesus, and show us your heart for the poor. Amen.